James Kennedy Ministries presents Truths That Transform. Today, a debate rages over the nature of America's founding and those who founded her. Were the founders simply European men protecting their so-called white privilege, as the left alleges today? When we look at George Washington, we're clearly looking at the great icon of our country, the United States. What is the truth about America's founding, and why does it even matter anymore? Find out on today's Truths That Transform. Welcome to Truths That Transform, a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries, where we are standing for truth and defending your freedom. Ours is a time of aggressive ignorance. The radical left has poured the caustic solvents of critical theory and revisionist history on America's past in order to separate us from our founding ideals and take control of the present. That is one of the reasons why this ministry has brought the Providence Forum under our umbrella of ministries to preserve, defend, and advance the Judeo-Christian values of our nation's founding. It's those principles and no others that give us our precious freedom. On today's program, you will get a unique look at the father of our country, and you will also find out who is America's greatest hero of all. As we begin, no human being was more essential to the founding of America than George Washington. He has often been enshrouded in myth, legend, and more recently, the target of revisionist demonization. But a new documentary from our Providence Forum Outreach introduces us to the real George Washington. Let's take a closer look. If any one man led America in its creation as a new nation, that man was George Washington. To the memory of the man, first in war, first in peace, and first in the hearts of his countrymen, Henry Lee III. George Washington was America's first president under the U.S. Constitution. Before that, he presided over the Constitutional Convention. Before that, he was the nation's commander-in-chief and helped lead an army of ill-equipped farmers and merchants to defeat the world's largest army and navy at the time. Washington gave God the credit for the victory. George Washington was born on February 22, 1732 in Westmoreland County, Virginia. He was the son of Augustine Washington and his second wife, Mary Ball, the first wife having died. Early in his life, the Washingtons lived in Ferry Farm near what is today Fredericksburg, Virginia. George spent most of his youth there. He received an early education, as was common in the day, in a Christian tradition studying at the Appleby School. In April 1743, when he was 10, 
tragedy struck the Washington household. George was away at the time. George Washington's father, Augustine, had ridden a horse in a storm and would become tremendously sick from the weather and the elements and some conditions that he struggled with. It was in the Easter holidays that Mr. Washington was taken sick. George was absent at the time on a visit to some of his acquaintances in Chautauqua, King George County. He was sent for after his father's sickness became serious and reached the paternal abode in time to witness the last struggle and receive the parting benediction of his beloved parent, Edward C. McGuire, Washington biographer. As Augustine Washington died, he was grateful for a clear conscience. I thank God that all my life I never struck a man in anger, for if I had, I am sure that from my remarkable muscular powers, I should have killed my antagonist, and then his blood at this awful moment would have lain heavily on my soul. Augustine Washington. Mary Ball Washington was only 37. Writing in 1886, Washington biographer Benson J. Lossing said of her, she submitted to the divine will with the strength of a philosopher and the trustfulness of a Christian. The death of his father brought George's formal education to a sudden halt. Nonetheless, George Washington continued to read and study all his life. One of the books that most impacted the young George Washington was called Rules of Civility and Decent Behavior, a collection of 110 maxims written in late 16th century France. They were largely based on biblical principles and were very popular in George's day. George transcribed these precepts in his own hand by the age of 16. If George Washington came off as a cold or aloof or dignified adult, in some ways it was the impact of the rules of civility. 22nd. Show not yourself glad at the misfortune of another, though he were your enemy. 56th. Associate yourself with men of good quality if you esteem your own reputation, for tis better to be alone than in bad company. 73rd, think before you speak. Pronounce not imperfectly, nor bring out your words too hastily, but orderly and distinctly. Washington built a lot of his life around the rules of civility. He wrote on each of these different rules and tried to measure up to them himself. And it was very, very clear, I think, that he wasn't doing this just simply you know, to look good in front of other people. He was doing this because he believed that this pleased God. And uh, Washington was a man who feared the Lord uh, and, and lived in accordance with that. When you speak of God or his attributes, let it be seriously and with reverence, honor, and obey your natural parents, although they be poor. 109th, let your recreations be manful, not sinful. 110th, labor to keep alive in your breast that little spark of celestial fire called conscience. Thomas Jefferson actually said, that George Washington was the greatest intellect of all of the founding fathers. And that's something to say from somebody with an intellect like Thomas Jefferson. At the age of 17, George Washington became a land surveyor for the Culpeper area. When he was about 19, George and his older half-brother Lawrence traveled to the Caribbean island of Barbados. George developed smallpox. 
This was the first and only trip of George Washington out of continental North America. I happen to believe the evidence is strongly on the side of declaring that Washington was a Christian. That is not the standard understanding of many scholars in the popular culture. Typically, he's conceived of as a deist, one who believes in a remote absentee creator who has no involvement with the world. He believes in prayer, which deists did not believe. There are over a hundred written prayers that can be found in his writings. He loves the doctrine of providence. He uses it over 270 times. He believed in the clergy, which the deists had no interest in the clergy. He wrote to over 50 ministers, letters that are written to pastors and preachers and theologians. As president, he corresponded with many clergymen. He also wrote a beautiful letter to one of America's earliest synagogues, that of Providence, Rhode Island, where he once visited. Fifty different clergymen stayed in his home, according to his own diaries. He was an active churchgoer all his life, even when it was not convenient. George Washington was a committed Anglican. It's interesting, you could not even hold office in Virginia unless you were a committed Anglican. You had to take the oath of supremacy, acknowledging the king as the head of the Anglican Church. So all of the founding fathers in Virginia were faithful Anglicans. Now, George Washington's great-great-grandfather was an Anglican minister in England, Reverend Lawrence Washington. And then his family uh, helped start churches in Virginia. His dad, Augustine Washington, was also a vestryman, and George was a vestryman. A vestryman in the Anglican church was a position of lay leadership, like an elder or deacon. Washington served as a vestryman, for example, at Pohick Church in Lorton, Virginia, where Washington the surveyor even determined where the church would be located, and there's Christ Church in Alexandria, the church of the last decade of his life. The Anglican churches he attended had writing on the wall called a reredos. Looking at the reredos in his uh, sanctuary, where there was the uh, Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed, and the Ten Commandments. Each week during the service, at the appropriate time, the congregation would arise and recite together these things, including their affirmation of belief in the Lord. Washington was very sensitive when he spoke about Jesus Christ. We know that he said the name of Jesus Christ thousands of times in public and in private because he used the Book of Common Prayer on a daily basis. You can't use the Book of Common Prayer without being thoroughly Christian. You refer to the Trinity and every time you worship, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ asking for the forgiveness of sins. Those that watched him worship noticed that when he would stand and worship, he would always bow his head at the name of Jesus Christ as a symbol of reverence. It was well known and recorded in numerous experiences. So Washington saw Jesus' name as very sacred. We know that he called Jesus the divine author of our blessed religion. And he said we can't be a happy nation unless we follow his example. We need to imitate him. True religion affords to government its surest support. George Washington. There has been a lot of misinformation spread about George Washington and our nation's founders. You have just seen a short portion of the new documentary, George Washington, produced by Providence Forum and our own Dr. Jerry Newcomb.
You can receive a DVD copy of that compelling documentary as well as the beautiful coffee table style book, George Washington's Providence, as our thanks for your generous donation of $60 or more to the work of this ministry. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11154, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339, or call toll-free 877-962-7677, or go online to djkm.org. We will share more about this offer a bit later in this program, so stay tuned. But as great and essential as George Washington was, he was not America's most important figure or even her greatest hero, which raises the intriguing question, who was? Dr. D. James Kennedy has the answer. Today, I'd like to talk about America's greatest hero, the one who did more for our freedom, for the establishment of a Christian nation here than anyone else. America's greatest hero is God, the often forgotten one. It probably is rarely recognized at this time of year. But I think you're going to find out that he did more, by far, than any and everyone else. God determined to establish here a Christian nation. How do I know that? Because we have one. And if he had not determined to do that, we would not have such. He purposed to establish a Christian nation here on these shores save for so many centuries between two great oceans. Now, I know there's some people that would question even that statement. We could indeed have been a Spanish nation, very similar to any one of many in South or Central America. And there was the attempt by Spain to conquer England, from which there came the pilgrims and the Puritans and the evangelical gospel that they believed, but they were almost conquered. You remember it was 1588 and the invincible armada streamed down the rivers of Spain and out into the Atlantic Ocean and turned northward. The largest armada ever seen before. There was no doubt England was toast and God wiggled his toe. And a great storm came up and a huge portion of that naval armada sank to the bottom of the sea. The British fleet at that point met them and destroyed much of what was left. They then decided to sail up and around Great Britain and come down the other side. They made a mistake in their determining the distance, the direction they were going, and they ran the whole rest of the fleet into the western side of Ireland. And the invincible armada was not invincible. And therefore, we have 
the kind of nation that we have here today. Well, then there was the fact that we could easily have been French. You may not even know it. We hear a great deal about what happened in 1620. We even hear about what happened in 1607 in Jamestown, the pilgrims in 1620. But what about 1606, one year before? Do you know what happened then? We almost became French because in that year, the French who were in Canada made a great effort to come and colonize New England under the leadership of de Montes. They made three attempts. The first two, great winds took them out into the ocean. The third one, the wind destroyed their fleet altogether and they went ashore on the treacherous shoals of Cape Cod right about where the pilgrims landed a few years later. They could have met an armed French encampment, but God had other plans in mind. And so at length, the pilgrims landed. They were heading for Virginia. They were heading now toward Cape Cod. It was a fearsome storm that day they had decided that they would go farther south because they knew they weren't in Virginia. So they set sail without even landing and started south. And a great storm came and blew the ship back north, back where they were. And so they started south again, not knowing that the entire east coast of America was bristling with armed various groups and tribes of Indians armed with spears and bows and arrows, and that they would most probably have been massacred anywhere they went. There was only one place that they could safely land, and that's right where God brought them at first. Because about four years before that, a plague had hit and killed almost every one of them, leaving nothing except the the bushels of corn that they had gathered before the plague hit, which enabled them to survive that first winter. God, the sovereign ruler of the seas, the winds, the waves, and the storm, brought them here that we might have a strong evangelical Christian nation and that we might go from here to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. People have taken the gospel from these places. People have taken the gospel from this church to every single last nation on the face of the earth, exactly what the pilgrims said they wanted to bring about. And so we have a Christian nation where God, our great commander-in-chief, had so arranged his providences that this was brought to pass. When you stop to think of it, it is a magnificent story. 
Our nation's first president, George Washington, recognized that God himself was truly our great commander-in-chief, as did many other of the founding fathers. Washington said, No people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than the people of the United States. But increasingly, that's not the George Washington our children and grandchildren learn about in school. Instead, Washington and his contemporaries are portrayed as men who were religious in name only and instead were bloodthirsty, remorseless evildoers who rejoiced in subjugating and enslaving people. But we must recognize this as a scheme of the purveyors of cultural Marxism who are trying to pry us from our foundations and separate us from the bulwarks of our liberty. For the sake of our nation's future, we cannot allow such blatant falsehoods to stand. Our children need to learn the truth rather than the lies of the far-left big government socialists. And that truth can be found in the beautiful book, George Washington's Providence, which we would like to send to you as our thanks for your generous donation to help us continue the important work of proclaiming these biblical principles of freedom. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11154, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339 or call toll-free 877-962-7677 or go online to djkm.org. George Washington's Providence by Rob Westman is a wonderfully illustrated coffee table-sized hardcover book filled with beautiful original paintings and gorgeous photography. It's perfect for families and children of all ages. It carefully and accurately captures the great theme in Washington's life that still touch all of us today. Beloved entertainer Pat Boone has said, this book needs to be in every home and in every school in America. You will indeed want to make sure that you get a copy for your children or grandchildren or your own home. And if you're able to give a generous donation of $60 or more, we will send you this lavishly illustrated celebration of George Washington's faith, plus the new DVD documentary, George Washington. Meet the real George Washington in an hour-long documentary produced by our own Providence Forum Outreach and its executive director, Dr. Jerry Newcomb. This hour-long DVD presents you with a fresh, detailed, and rich account of this great man's life. One that reveals why Washington is heralded as America's indispensable man. It features expert commentary from William J. Federer, Walter Williams, Eric Metaxas, and many more. That's the beautifully illustrated book, George Washington's Providence, as our thanks for your generous donation and the book plus the new hour-long DVD documentary, George Washington, as our thanks for your gift of $60 or more. 
And as you give, you will be helping us to defend the biblical principles of America's founding through the Providence Forum, Truths That Transform, and our many other essential projects and outreaches. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11154, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call toll-free, 877-962-7677. Or go online to djkm.org. For more than 200 years, the central ideals defining America are that all people are created equal and that our fundamental freedoms are an endowment from God himself and cannot be taken away by human governments and that the purpose of just government is to protect and preserve these God-given rights, allowing Americans to flourish in freedom. These ideals were set forth in the Declaration of Independence and explicitly enumerated in the Constitution. But today, those shared commitments are in great peril. There have always been opposing political parties in America, but their disagreements were within the boundaries of the American idea. We could quibble about whether this policy or that law was constitutional, but even the debate itself was premised on a mutual dedication to the Constitution as law. But no more. A generation of schoolchildren have been taught that America is irredeemably racist, that our founding documents were merely the products of white men protecting their personal interests, and that this nation needs to be torn down and rebuilt from scratch. Today, pundits on MSNBC and CNN openly advocate dispensing with the First Amendment because it permits too much hate speech. A leftist law professor at Georgetown even published an op-ed in the New York Times entitled, Let's Give Up on the Constitution. Now hear me clearly on this. If this view takes hold, America as we know it cannot continue, which is, of course, exactly what leftist big government socialists want. But only if parents take back control of the education of their children can the freedom of this nation survive. Ronald Reagan once said, freedom is a fragile thing, and it's never more than one generation away from extinction. A generation has been brainwashed by the leftist educational establishment that America was founded upon evil and that its founding documents aren't worth the paper they're written on. We see the results unfolding all around us. Parents, it's up to you. For the sake of your children and the future of America, put an end to this madness. D. James Kennedy Ministries is standing for truth and defending your freedom. I'm Frank Wright. Thanks for being with us. And here's a look at the next truths that transform. So you look at uh, someone like George Washington, our first president, and he exercised a lot of humility, a lot of grace. 
uh, that would have been very biblical in terms of his thinking and approach. That's next week. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.